What's, what's the saying? You can't teach old Baptist new liturgy? No, I don't think that's it. Uh, <clears throat> we're in a series on uh, introducing the Disciple Center. I usually give an introduction of what we've covered so far. I'm not going to do that today uh, in the interest of time. I'm also not going to read the statement because I've read it each week and you have it. It's on the website of what we are. But I am going to... Uh, talk about one aspect of that where we say that we are a relational, liturgical, and multi-denominational gathering. Today I want to talk about being multi-denominational. Um, in Ephesians chapter 4, we are told there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one hope of our calling. And we are also told that we are to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, that we may walk worthy of the calling that we've been uh, called. Um, I have struggled with that for many years uh, because I grew up in a context once I became a believer uh, as a teenager um, of trying to figure out who was right and who was wrong among Christians. And uh, I recall a great conversation. Uh, what I mean by that is a ongoing, constant conversation of uh, who was the true believers, what was the true church, all of that kind of thing. And, and I got my eyes focused, as people uh, do, on the denominations, which one is the correct denomination. Um, and the battle was on. And I began to realize that God works through people and people work through organizations and that in some sense, I was not looking at denominations appropriately. Now, as time went on, uh, a new form developed, that of the non-denominational congregation. And uh, many of you have grown up not knowing anything else. There's always been non-denominational churches. But when I was a teenager, there was no such thing. Non-denominationalism not, was not represented as a viable congregational structure. It's very hard to do. It's, it's like your children growing up without the Internet. You know, you tell them, oh, we didn't have the Internet. We didn't have uh, email. We didn't have all of that. And they go, were the dinosaurs walking on the earth? At that? I mean, they just don't get that. Uh, but I have lived from the time when there were no non-denominational churches. Now, that doesn't mean non-denominationalism didn't exist, just that there were no non-denominational churches. Non-denominationalism really came out of uh, the idea of denominational Christians working together in parachurch organizations. Things like the Navigators, things like Youth for Christ. And since I became a believer in Youth for Christ and wasn't church-oriented, I was parachurch-oriented, I knew that everybody who belonged to the group, some of them were Methodists, some of them were Catholics, some of them were Nazarenes, some of them were Baptists, and they had their little differences, but we didn't care because what we were doing was trying to function in a parachurch kind of framework. The thought that there would be 
a congregation or a uh, idea that those things didn't matter wasn't in our heads. But what began to happen with the youth movement and with um, uh, uh, the anti-establishment idea and the charismatic movement and a number of things, the Jesus movement, was the beginning of what was called a non-denominational approach to Christianity. Now, we've seen that now for 40 years, and the result is that most non-denominational Christians know very little about their faith. They know very little about the, uh, the historic uh, struggles of the faith. And in the process of that, they have a tendency to wear non-denominationalism as a badge of superiority. But there are problems with it, and it becomes a real, a real struggle for us. So um, I, I want to talk about multi-denominational and why we are that. But to do that, I have to define a couple of things. And I'm editing as I go here. So let me first define uh, Messianic Judaism. I want to do that uh, because you need to be aware that in the... Uh, I'll have to put these all around and just pick and choose as I want, right? Messianic Judaism is a part of the Messianic movement. The Messianic movement is this broad movement that includes many different ideologies within it. One of those ideologies is what we call Messianic Judaism. It, it takes Jewish identity seriously, and it takes the idea of faith in Yeshua as being something that if you take Jewish identity seriously, then you have to take the covenant of God with Israel seriously, and therefore a Messianic Jew, though he is under the lordship of Yeshua, the Messiah of Israel, is not exempt from nor removed from the covenant of God with Israel and the promises of God related to the restoration in the land. And therefore, observance of some manner of, the, of Torah is incumbent upon them. And so their identity is Jewish and their religion is a form, if you will, of Judaism. They are not the largest group within the Messianic movement, but I think they are a strong emerging group in the movement. On the other hand, there's a large group of Jews in the movement who are what we would call Hebrew Christians or Jewish Christians. Their religion is Christianity. This is classically the Jews for Jesus group. They, they are Christians whose her ethnic heritage or background is Jewish. They want to maintain Jewish identity within Christianity. In the same way that there are Korean Christians, why can't there be Jewish Christians? Now this is somewhat problematic because Koreans simply take any part of their uh, Korean culture and remove it from themselves and bring the rest into their expression of Christianity. This is problematic for Jews because the foundation of all their culture and their ethnicity comes out of the Torah. And Christianity has had this replacement idea and so they kind of say, 
you can bring your Jewish identity, but if you bring any of those things in, that's the law and you're being a legalist, right? So there's a struggle with the Hebrew Christians in trying to figure out how do we stay Christians but now have a Jewish identity. Those two groups don't always see eye to eye. Messianic Judaism adherents, and there are some Gentiles among them, and Hebrew Christians. There's another large group of Gentiles in the movement, and they are normally called Jewish roots people. And their idea is that they're Gentile, that's their identity. Their religion is Christianity, but they are struggling against replacement Christianity and trying to regain the Jewish roots and the Jewish foundation of, of this faith. Now, technically, we are part of <coughs> you knew that was coming. We are part of that broader group, though the Jewish roots movement has a lot of craziness in it. Of course, the whole the whole messianic movement's got so much mishigas. I don't, you know, I mean, that's just the problem. Uh, so they're very serious people, and then there are people that you go, you can't be serious, right, in that group. So I don't generally use that term. So what we are as a Judeo-Christian group is we are Judeo-Christian in that we are, again, trying to struggle with our Gentile identity coming alongside of Israel with a Christianity that is informed and shaped by Judaism, which gives us difficulty with replacement-type Christianity. So I want to talk just a moment. I've talked about Messianic Judaism. Let me talk a moment about uh, Judeo-Christianity. And I have to talk about the term itself. It's possible to use the word Judeo-Christian as, in a sense, a modifier of a more primary term. So we talk about Judeo-Christian values. We talk about America sometimes being a Judeo-Christian nation. What we're doing there is we're drawing from this kind of adjective Judeo-Christian, but we're really talking about values or nation or one of those things. That's not how I'm using the term. I'm using the term where Judeo is modifying the term Christian. So I'm talking in terms of Judeo-Christianity, which is a distinction from Pentecostal Christianity, Eastern Orthodox Christianity, uh, Charismatic Christianity, Evangelical Christianity. I'm using the term Judeo to say that it's a Christianity that is connected to, influenced by, and relational to historic Judaism and the, the God of Israel and the Israel of God. That's, that's what we mean and that's why we use it. Because a lot of people say, why don't you just use Messianic Gentile? Or as some in the Southern Baptist Messianic Fellowship say, we're Messianic Baptists, which really confuses people. Because they don't know the difference between Messianic and Masons. And they go, how can you be a Mason and a Baptist? Right? And I don't want to get into that. Right? So 
The struggle here is to understand what we're trying to do. We are not, our religion is not Judaism, but it's very closely connected and dependent on that connection for us. Uh, But we are a form of Christianity. I believe Messianic Judaism and Judeo-Christianity are the real links between historic Christianity and Rabbinic Judaism. And we must maintain the distinction of connections between Messianic Judaism with its Jews and Gentiles and Judeo-Christianity with its Jews and Gentiles and the broader Judaism and Christianity. Which brings us to the struggle of denominationalism. And I'll answer anything I've confused you with at this point during the Q&A. So I just cut three pages into that. I'm going to read this so that you get a denomination as an organized and identifiable sect of a larger religion. Sectarian differences have always existed in religious groups. Human nature and variability makes sectarianism a certainty. In the early church, Paul would say, one says, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. They were already in somewhat sectarian mode, emerging. And he said, there must be sects among you that those of you who are approved may be manifest. A lot of people interpret that as we're going to break up into groups and then one of us is going to turn out to be right. He's not talking about that. He's talking about those very abilities are going to give you the challenge and the opportunity to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace with people who don't see it exactly the way you do. Because uniformity is not unity. And so it's important for us to think not in terms of simple denominationalism or non-denominationalism, but in multi-denominationalism. In Second Temple Judaism, there were many sects. The ones most well-known are the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and the Zealots. There were others. And certainly the Nazarenes, that Jewish group that were disciples of Yeshua, who ultimately were the disciples and apostles uh, of what is now the struggle of Messianic Judaism and Christianity. As those groups began to separate, and I don't have time to talk about the, the scholarship that's going on now, we're, we're realizing now that a lot of our assumptions about the separation between Judaism and Christianity simply didn't happen the way we thought. It wasn't this hostile, it wasn't this quick, it, wasn't, it, was, it was more a matter of, of kind of slowly pulling away from each other than it was this quick, a couple of movements and, and, uh, and we're out. And it took uh, several hundred years for that to happen. But what ultimately happened is two strains came out of Sec- Second Temple Judaism. One dominantly anti-Yeshuic, but very Torah-based, and the other one anti-Semitic and anti-Torah, but very pro-Messiah and and Jesus. And 
And while that's an oversimplification, we end up getting rabbinic Judaism and patristic Christianity in, in that sense. What happened over time is even those groups broke into sects or denominational differences. So traditional Judaism uh, is moving along and a group says, we need to do something with this. And the reform movement grows out. And then some people go, I think you've gone too far. And the orthodox movement comes back. And then another group says, guys, you both went a little too far, but you both have something to do. And the conservative movement came, right? And other smaller groups belong to, to Judaism in that sense. Christianity, same thing. A little struggle over the nature of, of Jesus. How can he be divine? How can he be human? Does he have two natures? Does he have one? And one group called the Oriental Orthodox get kind of separated. These are the African Orthodox, if you will, uh, and the Oriental Orthodox. And then uh, after about a thousand years of, of the struggle, the Eastern Church and the Western Church splits over both doctrine and, I think, language, cultural differences, Greek and Latin, and they split. And now we have Eastern Orthodox Christianity and we have Western Christianity. Then, of course, in a few hundred years from that, we have another split within Western Christianity as the Reformers separate from, uh, from the Catholic Church and its centrality, and then there's a counter-reformation trying to clean up the Catholic Church, and now we have all these state churches. And the Protestants, for the most part, are connected to states like the Anglican Church, the Church of England, the Lutheran Church in, in uh, Sweden, right? So what you get is then you get a group of people also coming out who say, we're going to be free of the Pope and free of the state. And that's the free church tradition. Those are Mennonites, Baptists, Free Methodist, Evangelical Free, all of that kind of group. All of these denominations need to be seen not as which one is right, but as different emphasis, different values, so that if I take this money, these historically are called denominations. A, a $1 bill, a $5 bill, a $20 bill. Which one's real? They're all real, but they have differing values and emphasis, right? And that's the way we should look at denominationalism, not as one's right and the rest are all wrong. Because that will divide us into an impossibility for maintaining the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So, the purpose of denominations is to allow certain groups of believers to function together emphasizing the part of the revelation of God that they think is the, the biggest priority. Now, groups can go too far, and what tends to happen is the groups then kind of pull and, and ebb and flow within the broader religious structure. That happens in Judaism. It happens in Christianity. As I said, non-denominationalism came along in the 60s, and non-denominationalism said... I'm going to go from first century Christianity to the 1900s and bypass all that history. 
I don't care about the Catholics. I don't care about Judaism. I don't care about any of that stuff. We're just right here. It's just me and the Bible. I get it directly from God. And everybody in in a non-denominational sense becomes their own denomination. Now, I've written about the dangers of non-denominationalism. You can read that on the website. But when I wrote that, I got a bunch of letters from my former friends in high school who said to me, I'm a non-denominationalist. Are you saying I'm not a Christian? Which is one of the problems of non-denominationalism. It it only cares about one thing. Is you is or is you ain't God's baby. Right? (laughs) They only care about, have you said the magic words and are you going to heaven? But Judaism and Christianity care about a lot more than that because the Scripture talks about a lot more than that. It talks about how we treat each other. It talks about how we raise our families. It talks about the, how we treat other people that aren't part of our faith. All of that is something that they should learn, and they know nothing of it. So there's an ignorance that comes out of non-denominationalism. And I had to write back to him and say, look, if you're a Baptist, I can tell you if you're a good Baptist or not a good Baptist. If you're a Catholic, I can tell you if you're a good Catholic or not a good Catholic. If you're a Methodist, I can tell you if you're a good Methodist or a bad Methodist. But if you're non-denominational, I can't tell you if you're a good one or a bad one because there's no standard. Non-denominational means I don't have to believe anything that anybody else believes. I don't even have to know what they believe. I don't have to do anything that anybody else does because I don't know about it. It is not a healthy direction within the church. And it's, it's taken over the free church because many denominational churches are trying now to be non-denominational churches. So let me define a non-denominational setup. I'm trying to be descriptive and not critical, though I am critical of it. Non-denominational churches are evangelistic, youth and seeker-friendly approaches to worship with contemporary non-liturgical and non-religious services based on parachurch ministry, the Billy Graham crusade-style meetings, and the congregations became popular as the charismatic movement broke through denominational barriers so that the idea of calling to ministry without education and targeting specific People, rather than a broader group, became the focus of ministry on the basis that the church was going to meet needs. In other words, non-denominationalism is still parachurch ministry. They just don't know it. So, what happens is there's nothing to pass on to your children. Because they will then grow up with their contemporary form. And they'll grow up with their contemporary form. And the faith, once for all, delivered to the saints, is lost. So, I believe we have to return to what I call multi-denominationalism. If we, if we only go denominational, particularly in the free church, then what we will do is we'll pick our group and we'll live isolated from everyone else. If we go non-denominational, we will, we will lose our minds and our memories. Okay? So, what is multi-denominational? It's not an attempt to be all things to all believers. 
but it is a decided attempt to understand our differences, looking first at what others are doing that is right rather than what they're doing that is wrong, and incorporating that into our own expression. Let me give you an example. I don't know if this will help you. How, how many of you are familiar with the term mixed martial arts? Okay, so this, this example will work. Mixed martial arts didn't exist when I started in the martial arts. You either were in judo, or you were in karate, or you were in aikido, or you were in sabbat, or you were in one of those. You learned a whole system, and then we argued about which system was better. And then somebody got the idea, in part because of some fights that were being done. They, they put people in a cage and see which one worked. And the, the ones that tended to work the best were the jujitsu ones, which is my, my art. And the reason for that is jujitsu is one of the parent arts. And so you're trained in all of those forms. But they are brought together with a cohesive structure. What began to happen was people began to say, I like that guy's punch and that guy's kick and that guy's throw and that guy's choke and I'll put those together and make my own. They became non-denominational martial artists. It's a hometown buffet approach to martial arts. Just like non-denominationalism is a hometown buffet approach, I'll just eat what I want and ignore the rest. Most of the people who do mixed martial arts aren't very good. Because the way we used to do the mixing of martial arts is you went all the way to the black belt in one system and you knew that system. Then you looked at the other systems and said, I like what they do. And you borrowed that, adapted it into your system so that your system still worked. But if, if, if when I was a kid, people made jalopies. They took parts from all kinds of cars and put them together. Some of them ran, some of them didn't, right? The problem of putting things together without thinking through systematically and putting them into proper relationship is you destroy the integrity of the individual thing and you have something that doesn't work. So multi-denominationalism means that we start from our free church tradition we understand it fully and then move with that to draw from Catholicism and Eastern Orthodox, from Reformed Judaism and Conservative Judaism, with integrity, those parts that can be properly placed within our understanding and within our expression of the faith. So, a person who is well-versed in their own tradition can best put the others into proper relationships uh, as they develop it. So, what the Disciple Center is, is an attempt, based on my own work, to look at the common religious faith and practice found in Judaism and Christianity and their various denominational forms. And within our own foundational structures as Baptists, to pull that in together and make use of it. And why Baptist? Because there is a freedom at the local church level among Baptists that allows us to do this without getting me getting defrocked uh, or up on a heresy trial, right? Um, so 
So it, Baptists have the freedom to be a heretic, so you have the freedom to be a disciple. And that freedom allows us to struggle with that. Be much more difficult in a centralized denominational system to do some of these things. So, in recent times, many of you have begun in relationship with people from other traditions to adapt some of what you've seen with them and bring them in. And, and that's healthy for us. As long as we don't do what we don't understand. We first need to understand and then we need to do that. So, we benefit as a community when, when this kind of um, um, multi-denominational approach is taken. But it's not organizational. Okay? And it can't be done by reading. You can't just read about another denomination. You're going to actually have to make friends of Orthodox Christians and Orthodox Jews. You're going to have to make friends of Roman Catholic Christians and of, of Reformed Jews. You're going to have to know people so that you can authentically talk to them. Because if you read about it and just do it in a book, it doesn't work because we're learning a discipleship, a lifestyle, and the lifestyle is broader and more depth than what you get from a book. A book can get you introduced to terms and concepts, but you have to live this, you have to practice it if you're going to really incorporate it into your life. Now, having said that, I just have one more little piece and then I'll be done. So I pulled this all together. Hopefully it's not total chaos. I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 14. In the 50s and 60s, when I got exposed to Christianity, uh, Pentecostals thought that Baptists didn't have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Baptists thought Catholics couldn't possibly be saved because they were worshiping idols. There was a caricature of people because we didn't know them. And even families that had multiple denominations in their family, those people didn't speak to each other. You know? Uh, and yet, a major part of this faith is found in all of those denominations. So we actually have more in common than we have what divides us. But if we emphasize what divides us, then we lose our sense of kinship and community with those others. So the Apostle Paul, I think in some context related to this, says, Now accept the one who is weak in the faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. We're all in process. You and I are all growing in grace and in knowledge. And we need to accept one another, even though some of us are going to react to some expressions of the faith strongly and others weaker, and, and we're, we're not going to be at the same place. And he talks about, we stand before our own Lord. Let me tell you something that's really a problem. If I am coming into the mainstream of Judeo-Christianity, and I'm coming from a very, very rigid fundamentalist thing, and I'm experiencing that there is more grace than that, I am walking this way. If I come from a perspective, or let's say uh, someone else is coming from a perspective 
of absolute grace. And they're so open-minded that their brains have fallen out. Right? And they realize there needs to be some structure. And so they're walking this way. So this guy's coming from... Everybody does what's right in their own eyes. This guy's coming from... If you do one thing wrong, you're going to hell. Right? It looks like they're walking in opposite directions. They're not, because they're headed here. So when you see a brother or sister, and you can't agree with them, be careful, they may be react, And you might go from this kind of rigidity to this kind of laxity, and then realize it's a problem. And he may go from here over to here, and say, oh, I'm going to become an a, a ultra-fundamentalist, and then go, wow, that wasn't good. And, and so we're going back and forth. We're going to be unstable. It's a struggle. We have to give each other mercy and grace. And we have to remember that we're not coming from the same place. So our patience with each other has to be the kind of patience that God has with you when you do that stupid thing. And you've done it. I've been on both sides of Calvinism. I've been on both sides of Pentecostalism. I've been on both sides of inerrancy. I've been on both sides of just about every movement that can be done because I'm one of those who can't just go with the crowd. I've got to explore everything. And of course, when I'm exploring, people go, oh, he's off into something else now. But when I come out, I have a better understanding of the whole. And hopefully, you're getting that same thing. We are multi-denominational because it gives us a fuller toolkit of the Judeo-Christian faith and allows us to know what our brothers and sisters in the various sects of Judaism and Christianity are doing, why they do it. doesn't mean we always agree with them, but we understand and where we can walk together, we walk together. And where we can't walk together, we know why we're not walking together without having a shouting match. You know, somebody puts a food I don't like on a plate, I simply don't eat it. I don't go into a diatribe about why that should never be eaten. I got in real trouble one time. I was just joking. But I mentioned that I don't like... What's the ice cream that's chocolate, vanilla, and Neapolitan? I said Neapolitan is satanic. And anybody who eats it can't possibly go to heaven or something like that. I was with my family. Well, my brother and his wife go, I like Neapolitan ice cream. So then, then I was in trouble. I thought, it was, I thought it was just being, you know me, I think I'm funny. Apparently my family doesn't think I'm funny, right? But those are the kind of things that can happen where somebody says something and we're reacting to all of that kind of thing instead of knowing what we really are about. So part of this multi-denominational approach for us is to know to what extent are we compatible with Orthodox Christianity in its Eastern and Western forms? To what extent are we compatible with Reformed Christianity? Where do we fit in the free church? And where do we fit in the context of Reform, Orthodox, and Conservative Judaism, and particularly Messianic Judaism, as we pull together the Torah and the Gospels, which were never meant to be separated because the Gospel is to the Jew first. 
and I'm included, I'm not a replacement. And the Torah doesn't go away until this creation goes away. And I checked this morning, it's still there. Right? So, we have to walk with those who are reasonable and those who are not reasonable. But just as your family has reasonable and unreasonable people in, and they're still your family, the peoplehood of God is Israel and the Gentiles from the nations who have been called for his name. And our goal is to walk worthy of that calling in the unity of the spirit, not organization, unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So let me say my conclusion. The disciple center is an attempt to be faithful and authentic in our expression of the Judeo-Christian faith informed by the two great religions, Judaism and Christianity. We are established in the free church tradition with a messianic perspective and we seek a unity of the spirit informed and expressed by all of the traditions established by disciples who have sought to trust and obey God as revealed in the scriptures and following the lordship of Jesus. Let's pray.